0: Our sermon text today is from verse 2 to verse 33, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to verse 33. Before we read that, we'll pray. Please join heaven as we now study your word, the Holy Scriptures. May we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are understanding and open. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be, will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be Amen. May God bless his word to us. Well, thus far in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen that the angel Gabriel first of all appeared to Zechariah in the temple as he was offering incense and spoke to Zechariah, assuring him that he would be given a son. John the Baptist, we know his son as, and that his John would be the one who would go before the Lord to to bring before the Lord a people prepared in fulfilment of many prophecies. Well, now the angel Gabriel appears to another person, a virgin betrothed by the name of Mary. Now the scripture nowhere specifically tells us anything about Mary's background. We don't know for certain that she was Mary also of the house of David, though many would um many would speculate that this is the case. We're told that Joseph was of the house of David, not that Mary was of the house of David. <coughs> Mary would probably have been in her early teens. It was not unusual for a girl to be betrothed at that stage. And betrothal then was not the same as engagement now. Betrothal then, in Jewish society, was basically a marriage that was not yet consummated. With regards to betrothal, she was from that time on considered to be the possession of her husband. She was from that time on considered to be indeed the wife of her husband. And if the betrothal was to be broken, it was actually officially a divorce. She would have become a divorced woman. Or if her betrothed husband had died, she would have been considered to be a widow. She was betrothed very young and the betrothal was by custom around about 12 months long. The purpose of this was for purity and also to give the husband time, as it were, to prepare a place for them to live. The time frame we're given in verse 26 is the sixth month. If you look back to verse 25, you'll see we're looking at the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Sorry, verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So Elizabeth, after five months, starts to let it be known that she has miraculously, as it were, conceived a child. The Lord has given her a child. And in the sixth month, so at around about the same time, Gabriel appears to Mary, to speak to Mary. And as he spoke to Zechariah with a message that came straight from heaven, straight from God, so Gabriel brings to Mary the same or the same kind of message, a message that comes directly from God that tells us that we're looking here at a divine work, not a human work. This is not something that man can do that man will do or that man has ever been able to do. This is something coming directly from God. We're looking as a, at, we're looking at God intervening in human in a major way. God changing the way things are. The history of humanity is a history of failure of sinfulness destroying the work that might otherwise be in some way positive. What have we done that could earn us salvation? What have we done that could set us right in the eyes of the Lord? What have we done that has changed the nature of humanity? And the answer is absolutely nothing. God intervenes. God sends the angels. Verse 28, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favoured one. Well, the word greetings and the word translated as favoured favoured one both come from the same root word, kyra, or grace. Grace, greetings, O graced one, one who has been favoured with grace, one upon whom the Lord has poured out his grace. The Lord is with you. This message is a message of grace. This is to become a theme in the New Testament from this time forward. Grace, undeserved favour, favour given to one who has no claim on God. God owes no one anything. God owes not even the Virgin Mary anything. When God does anything good for any person... It's an act of grace in terms of God doing good for all of humanity. It's grace that God sends seasons, that God sends rain in its time, that God sends sunshine in its time. All of these things are acts of grace. We deserve no good thing. Yet God visits Mary or God sends the angel Gabriel to visit Mary and it's an act of grace. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Greatly troubled, an angel has appeared in your presence. An angel direct from the throne room of heaven. An angel, a creature without sin. An angel speaks to you. Greetings, may grace be given to you. You have been favoured with grace. The Lord is with you. And at this point, you need to um, think about Mary. We're not actually told specifically her family. I actually personally don't consider that the genealogy given in the Gospel of Luke is Mary's genealogy. We'll talk about that, the Lord willing, if and when we get to that part of the Gospel. She is, in many ways, someone who has no public profile. Her profile is that she is engaged or betrothed to a man who is basically a builder, a worker with stone and wood. That's her profile. She was a possession of her parents and she's along the way to becoming the possession of a man named Joseph of the House of David. The House of David at that time was in many ways no particularly um, famous nor noteworthy house There was no king in Israel. There was no family of princes. There was was no household of David ruling over the Jews, as it were. But she was betrothed to a man who was of the house of David. And so she's greatly troubled. An angel appears to me. An angel speaks to me. And I, of myself, am nobody. Nothing sets me apart from the world around me. Nothing sets me apart from the people that I've known and grown up with. Yet I am a favoured one and I am to believe that the Lord is with me. It says she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She sought to understand. She she cast within her own mind, I think is the phrase from the King James Version. She cast within her own mind to understand what would she be trying to understand? What, what would that be getting at? Well, the person we're speaking of is a person who is deeply studied in the Scriptures. If you move forward in the Gospel of Luke and just look at what's called the Magnificat, Mary's song of praise from verses 46 to 55, what you see is that Mary was absolutely immersed in Scripture. Almost every line that she says in this song is borrowed from or directly referencing to an Old Testament verse. For people to be able to talk like that, for people to be able to draw on verses of Scripture without having to run to get their Bible, without having to run to find their reference, that means that person has committed Scripture to memory, much Scripture, and spent a whole lot of time doing it, reciting it, studying, reciting Again and again and again. To have that kind of scripture memory requires repetition. It's not not in the list of gifts that you get from the Holy Spirit. God just gives you a mind that's full of the Bible. You get a mind full of the Bible by filling your mind with the Bible. And where it says that Mary is trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be, I have a feeling that she's trying to remember somewhere in the scripture where somebody had an experience like this, some kind of greeting like this, where a common girl, as it were, is told that the Lord is with her and that she has found favour in the sight of her God. And so she's trying to understand What's this all about? Me? What's this all about? Verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now Mary starts to understand. I don't know. I'm not saying how much I know she's understood at this point, but she starts to understand. Why? Because now... Because now Old Testament references will start to flow through her mind. That word conceive, it's going to turn her to the book of Isaiah. And as we would say, chapter seven and verse 14, behold, the virgin shall conceive. And the fact that she's told what name to call her son is going to cast her back into the Old Testament, for example, to the book of Judges, where the Lord comes to the mother to the mother of Samson and tells her that she will conceive, that she will bear a child, that he will be great. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And here again, Scripture references could well be coming to mind for Mary. Think of Psalm 2, just turn to Psalm 2. I have begotten you. Or turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. There we read in Proverbs, starting at verse 1 of chapter 30, the words of Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. What is his name? What is his son's name? Now, I'm not telling you that Psalm 2 or Proverbs chapter 30 are in a manner speaking absolutely specifically of this virgin conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I'm telling you is that in the Old Testament, the idea of God having a son, you are my son, this day I have begotten you, and Psalm 30, what is his name and what is his son's name? It's not unknown. Well, Mary has been told that she will conceive in her womb a son and she's been given a name for her son, Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. Yahweh saves. And look at what we're told about this son. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Who who possesses all of those things spoken of in Proverbs 30? And what is his name? And what is his son's name? Mary now knows she's to bear a son. And the name that he's to be given is Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. He will be called the son of the Most High. He will be called the son of God. And God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Notice something about this son. He has two fathers. Two fathers giving two nature. The son of the Most High. The son of God, divinity, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And yet he has a father. His father's name, David, the throne of his father, David. He has humanity. He has both divinity and humanity. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And that would, that, would, um, that would turn Mary to scriptures, to Isaiah 9, to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's turn there. We'll start reading at verse 8, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. David has had the idea that he would build for the Lord a temple in Jerusalem. And um, at first, this seemed well. And Nathan the prophet had come to him and said, yes, build, build. But the Lord sent Nathan back to him, saying, no, no, you're not going to build. You are not building the temple in Jerusalem. But the Lord promised something greater. Picking it up at verse 8. Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. Lord a house the Lord says to David no I'm going to build you a house verse 12 when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever Mary immersed in the scriptures has now been told that she's to have a son who will rule forever. Turn to Psalm 89. Starting at verse 1 of Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever, and build your throne for all generations. If Mary knew anything, she knew the Psalms. When I spoke of the song that she sings, called the Magnificat, most of the reference, most of the references there, come from the Psalms. Mary, casting her mind about, Mary seeking to understand what was said, was answered with Scripture. She was answered with promises that refer to old testament scriptures that's the meaning that mary would have taken from the things she's to give birth to a son who was to be the son of david who would rule over just here i've got to ask a question we've got to we've got to find ways to apply the scripture directly into our own lives we need to challenge it ourselves if if The Lord were to send to us a messenger direct from heaven who spoke to us concerning things that we are to do, things that will be done to us and with us, and who spoke to us with references to Old Testament verses from throughout the canon of the Old Testament. Do we know the scripture well enough to us? Would what was being said to us be a comfort or would it be gobbledygook? Word salad, a mess of words. What's he talking about? What does he mean? If Bible references are spoken to us, do we know our Bibles well enough to find them, to understand them, to apply them correctly? I've pointed out that Mary is a person who was immersed in the Scripture. Are we? Are we studying? Are we studying repetitively? I often use the picture of ploughing when I think of studying the Bible and growing in the knowledge of God. I, I was a farmer. I, the first job I had after I left school was working on an irrigation farm in northwestern New South Wales. I know what it's like to spend a 12-hour shift sitting on a tractor that is moving at walking pace, pulling a plough that is about as wide as a two-lane highway. And you're just there all day, steering a line, looking over your shoulder, making sure that that plough is cutting the furrow where you want it to go, and you just sit there all day, little by little, little by little, slowly but surely. Some of the fields I ploughed were so big that in that day, in that 12-hour shift, you went around the field once only. It's not exciting, but it's useful and it's worthwhile. You've got to be prepared to study the Bible the way a farmer is prepared to spend day after day after day just ploughing. It's not exciting, but you know that if you do it, there's hope of a harvest. You've got to be prepared to put your time into the Scripture day after day after day at walking pace, just at walking pace. Study, study, study. Then, when you hear scripture, when you see things happen around you that are referring to scripture, you've got a foundation, you've got that bedrock, you've got that guide to your thoughts in order that you can think God's thoughts after Him and in order that you can interpret what is happening around you in a biblical way. Study, plow, plow, plow. My friends, we're running a marathon, not a sprint. We're running a marathon. Every day, drawing us closer to the goal. And yes, we make the effort. It's God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. We must apply ourselves according to the prompting of God's Holy Spirit. And one of the most basic things that God's Holy Spirit is prompting in the lives of all Christians is Bible knowledge. Study, study, study. Apply yourselves. When I think also of Mary, I think of Psalm 110. And one line from it, I want you to turn to Psalm 110. Now, if you don't know it, Psalm 110 is the most quoted passage of Old Testament scripture in the New Testament. Jesus himself spoke of himself as being the fulfilment of this psalm. It starts with those famous words, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a psalm about Jesus. But what I want you to look at is verse 3. In the ESV it reads, Your people will offer themselves freely in the day of your power. Another way that could read is, Your people will be made willing in the day of your power. Your people will be made willing. My friends, it's God who makes people willing. Mary was a faithful and I'm sure holy and I'm sure much to be admired believer in the Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, in her God, in Yahweh. She was a believer in the scriptures. She was one who submitted herself to God. But she doesn't get the praise for that. God gets the praise for that. Why? because God's people will be made willing in the day of the power of the Son. If Mary is a willing slave of God, and that's what she calls herself, if Mary is a willing slave of God, it is because God has made her willing. It's Mary herself who calls God her saviour. My soul magnifies the Lord and, and my spirit rejoices in God my savior she was made willing to put her whole life including her body into the line of service for god the step of faith she was made willing on that day turn to 2 timothy chapter 2 in 2 timothy chapter 2 i want us to start reading from verse 20 now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and of clay some for honorable use some for dishonorable therefore if any one cleanses himself from what is dishonorable he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy useful to the master of the house ready for every good work so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart now consider what's being said here You would almost think that what's being said here is person, save yourself. But what's being said here is person who hears the call of the Lord. Man, woman, child who hears the call of the Lord. This is how you respond. If you have been made willing, you will do these things. If this message was preached to a thousand and nine hundred 900 turned away and did none of the things that were commanded, those 900 are 900 whom the Lord has not made willing. Vessels of gold and silver and wood and clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, stop, you have gold and silver. That's for honourable use. You have vessels of wood and clay. That's for dishonourable use. Where do we stand? What are we by nature? What are we when we are born? I'm not going to claim that I was born a vessel of gold and silver, but wood and clay for dishonourable use? That fits. That makes sense. But look at what you're told. The vessel made for dishonourable use. In sin did my mother conceive me, as David said in Psalm 51. The vessel made for dishonourable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable. You see, it's God who grants life. It's God who grants regeneration. It's God who, by the power of his Holy Spirit, awakens any vessel of wooden clay made for dishonourable use to his word. And what's the first thing? that any vessel must do, any person. You know, repent and believe. Cleanse yourself. Wash yourself. Set aside that which is dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, if anyone repents, if anyone turns away from their sins, if anyone puts them aside, if anyone pushes them away, if anyone makes themselves what they ought to be, in response to the commandment of God. The instruction here is not earn your salvation, it's not make yourself saved, it's not make yourself godly, it is you have been granted a place in the kingdom of God, therefore do this. And in doing this, you become a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue righteousness. Turning back to the Gospel of Luke. Gabriel comes to Mary. Greetings. Grace to you, one who has been given grace. Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. You see, the Lord had been there before Gabriel was there. The Lord had taken one who was born in her sins as any other person. And the Lord had enlivened her, awakened her, washed her in clean water. And she had, in response to his commandments, repented. She had fled from youthful passions. She had pushed out of her life whatever she was aware of that was in any way dishonourable. She had worked upon making herself rather than a vessel of wooden clay, a vessel of gold and silver. And what do you know? But she's the believer in all of history, in all of creation. She's the believer who is going to carry within herself the very son of God, the son of David, the human. She had no such dreams in the first place. I can't imagine that she fought that she was to be the mother of the Messiah, the mother of the Saviour. As um, the Creed of Chalcedon says, it calls her the mother of God, the son of the Most High. Yet, in the day of God's power, in the day of the power of God's son, she had been made willing. She was there. She was prepared. God had a girl who was ready to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ in a household that was of the line of David. Consider the titles Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Now those of you who are on our chat you know that I am um, earlier I earlier posted to the chat the Chalcedonian Creed. And um, let's just read the Creed of Chalcedon. It reads, We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a rational soul and body, coessential with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us, without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person, and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. That creed basically rests upon this section of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Our Saviour is both truly divine and truly human. Turn, for example, to the book of Romans, chapter one. I'm just reading from verse one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, whose son? God's son. For this is the gospel of God concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, the high point of Christian theology in Scripture, the book of Romans. What's the foundation that Paul is building on here? the dual natures of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's Son descended from David, looking at verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his Son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. My friends, if you don't have a saviour who is truly divine, truly human, you actually don't have a saviour. It's as simple as that. We need somebody who can join with us in our humanity, who can be, as it were, our older brother, our champion, our leader. You know, the picture of David slaying Goliath, that's the picture of Jesus defeating death and sin on our behalf. We need a hero. We need a champion. We need someone to hide behind. We need someone to do for us that which we could not do and that person had to be a son. What was the promise back in Genesis chapter 3? As God brings judgment into the garden, as God speaks words of judgment to the serpent, Genesis chapter 3 verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And notice something about him. Here he's called the offspring or the seed of the woman. The serpent-crushing seed of the woman. That's our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. The head-crushing Saviour, seed of the woman. What's the importance of this? The importance of this is, we needed someone who could negotiate covenant on our behalf. We needed someone who could bring us into a saving relationship with our God that cannot be broken by our own weakness. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. My covenant that they broke. They had a covenant relationship with God, which if they were faithful would have brought them to salvation. They had a covenant relationship with God in which the gospel was preached. But it was an inferior covenant, a covenant that they could break. They could turn aside. The implication here is when the Lord says, though I was their husband, they were adulterous. They turned aside. They turned aside from their allotted life. They turned aside from their marriage vows. Keep reading. Verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbour and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Hear this, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember there's sin no more. That's the covenant relationship that we need, a relationship which can't be broken because God Himself, in whom we are, in co- with whom we are in covenant, has chosen, has designated, has poured out His grace upon us, His favour upon us. He will forgive our iniquity, and He will remember our sin no more. Our sin will not be counted. Against us. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. I'm speaking, thinking now of David in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven, not counted, whose iniquities are not imputed. The one whom David says has a spirit in which there is no deceit. That's the relationship we have with God through Jesus, through this one who is true and truly divine. His blood is shed for our sins. His blood washes away our sins. His blood purchases us for God. In Christ, God saves us from his own judgment. In Christ, God saves us from slavery to sin, which is God's judgment on sin. In Christ, we have been purchased by God for God, by God the Son, for God the Father. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Paul is meeting with the elders of Ephesus and he's praying with them. And he's warning them that he's going away and he's warning them that wolves will come in among the flock. We'll start reading at verse 24. Paul's speaking, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Stop. Read verse 28 again. That, just that final clause, to care for the church of God. So who are we speaking of? God, God's church, the church of God, Christians, which he, <clears throat> he who, who is the he? God obtained with his It was the His, the He, God, He obtained with His own blood. Think about this. Paul has just said that in Jesus dying upon the cross, God obtained or purchased or redeemed His church with God's own blood. We don't get to walk away from Christian doctrine. We don't get to pretend that one part is important and not another. We don't get to change that which God has revealed. Turning back to Luke chapter 1. This one, whom is to be born of the Virgin Mary and is to be called the Son of the Most High and is also to be called the Son of David, to take on the throne or to... To be given the throne of his father David. This one who is human and divine. He is the Savior that God has provided. Get any options there. You don't get to choose what you believe about him. You don't get to say, oh look, this 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 talk about Jesus, he was a great teacher and he you know he 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 brought some beautiful words about love and morality into the world. Okay, if you want to say that, say it, but just stop pretending you're a Christian, stop attending churches. Stop mixing with the people of God. Seriously, just on your merry way. Say, talk your nice talk where someone's impressed by it. Because the people of God are not impressed by that kind of talk. The people of God know something. That the Saviour who was born to the Virgin Mary is truly divine. Truly divine and truly human. And that in his divinity and in his humanity... He accomplished the works on our behalf that God's justice demanded. And the blood that he shed in his humanity is counted as the blood of God himself purchasing people for God. The blood that washes away sins. How many songs do Christians sing concerning the blood of Jesus? I don't know the number, but it's big. Why? Because we understand something. This blood, this blood is that which brings us into a covenant relationship with God where our sins are forgiven and are remembered no more. Remembered no more. Does that mean God somehow blanks his own memory out? No, that's not what it means. It means God does not count them against us. When the scripture says God heard his people praying and remembered their prayers, does it mean he had forgotten them? Of course not. God's knowledge is perfect but it means that God had chosen at that time to answer the prayer and to act. Well, in the the context of God saying he will remember their sins no more, he's saying that upon the day of judgment, upon the day when eternal rewards are being handed out, he will remember the sins of his people no more and his people are found in Christ. They are found in Christ. Christ is their elder brother. Christ is their best friend. Christ is the husband of the bride, which is the church. Our relationships with him are that close and closer. The son has an eternal relationship with the father and the Holy Spirit, which cannot be broken, Coequal, coeternal, co-eternal, blessed, filled with love one for another. God knowing his own goodness and seeing his own goodness in father, son and Holy Spirit There is love, pure, true love. We don't like people who love themselves, but I'm telling you that God loves himself because he knows his own goodness and it's only fitting that he does. But here's the thing. Jesus has brought us into a relationship with God and in that relationship with God, we are in a Trinitarian relationship with God, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. If we are indwelt, by God the Holy Spirit, we are indwelt by God the Father and God the Son. It is impossible that one of the Trinity be dealing with us and not all of the Trinity be dealing with us, though God may reveal himself in the Father, the Son or the Holy Spirit. And the three persons are co-equal, co-eternal, truly divine. The Lord Jesus Christ in his divine nature, nature is eternally the divine God eternally God in his person. He shed his blood for us. So going back into Luke chapter 1, the proclamation of the angel, the words of the angel coming to us from God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Among all that he said, what does he say to Mary, to Mary? Coming from God, from God the Father, speaking of the Son, born of the Virgin Mary. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and he will be given the throne of his father, David. We believe in God as he has revealed him, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as he has revealed himself, we believe in in a God who saves by the power of his Holy Spirit, granting life to the people of God, that by faith they may take hold of the promises of God, cleansing themselves in and turning to God in obedience and faithfulness. These things aren't optional. You don't just get to please as you. God reveals himself. God's people accept God's self-revelation and those who do not are not God's people and have never been. The Lord willing, next week, we'll see that Mary accepts that which God has spoken to. To any who may be watching or listening, all I say to you is consider, cleanse yourself, change yourself, repent of your sins, choose to be vessels of honour, not vessels of dishonour. If you've heard the words, if you've heard the truth in that which was said, if you've understood the scriptures, repent and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for this. We do give you thanks for that which you have revealed to us therein. We pray, Father, that we would be faithful and obedient and love and serve you for whom you have revealed yourself to be. Help us, Father, to follow after you, to trust you, to love you, to take up our cross and to be like Jesus. Help us, Father, to remember that in this world, where so many weeds are growing, Father, that we indeed, Father, you alone are God. Help us to be truly your worshippers and to worship in spirit and in truth. Know the peace, the joy and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name.